Hi there, this is Brian Barnett with The Last Symptom. When I started The Last Symptom, I never in a million years imagined it would grow as it has. In these early shows especially, audio quality was often iffy, and there were references to services or online groups that are outdated and no longer in use. Great improvements have been made. Where should you go for all of the most up-to-date resources that I offer? TheLastSymptom.com is my permanent website full of free resources where everything is always up to date and that I encourage you to refer back to often. There are also a few modest paid resources at TheLastSymptom.com. These support my efforts and have allowed The Last Symptom to exist for as long as it has. These include one-on-one phone conversations with me one-on-one Zoom video calls with me, and perhaps most importantly, the Last Symptom Fundamentals course, which is a two-week, intensive, pre-recorded online video course that is far superior to things like DBT. The Last Symptom has a flourishing YouTube and Rumble channel where I publish regular orange slices, which are condensed video insights of five or ten minutes in length. If you're just now discovering the last symptom, welcome. I hope you will find every insight and resource you need here for authentic and permanent recovery from emotional disorders such as borderline personality disorder. Now on to the show. Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental health nor emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he has gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as they individually and personally choose while accepting full responsibility for their own individual thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares And by listening to this program, you are acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Happy Saturday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I hope your weekend is getting off to a big bang. You're all out there enjoying your shindigs and making the best of it. I'm Brian Barnett, your host. Overwhelming Illusion, the future's third act. There's a hair in the icebox and no recipe. The search for the how intimidates more than fact. Red wine's the solution to all that might be. Spit out your heart, there's salty flavor to mine. How her song churned up earth long concealed. Yet despite all the years and untold eons of time, I knew that by waiting, there'd be more revealed. Her thoughts skipped along on the breeze of her fear, haunting the halls, lightly tapping the doors, as if biting the ages just to find the right ear. Then out gushed the words from her eyelids and pores. Such a curious thing the way life takes its toll. I'd rather be sad than alone in my bones. You know, it's funny, I said, peering deep in her soul, how the stars always write themselves into my poems. How to Prepare a Rabbit 
by Brian Barnett. 27th of July, 2018. There's no hidden message about recovery from borderline personality disorder there. I just uh, wanted to open up with something personal and creative. Get a drink of coffee here. Let's get down to it. Abandonment is the first subject. Somebody had mentioned that in the past, I had said that abandonment isn't a thing. Now, i got to be more specific about this. What I said was that adult abandonment isn't a thing. You see, adults can't be abandoned. Why can adults not be abandoned? The very nature of what adulthood is, is the maturing past the point of dependence to a state of independence. Independence means that you are fully responsible for and have the capacity for taking care of yourself, of being your own champion for all of your own needs. You were once in a state of dependence on your parents for all of your emotional, mental, and physical needs, and the whole purpose of parenting was for them to help you mature along with your natural growth as a human being to reach a state of independence where you could then set out on your own and independently survive in the world. Whether an adult recognizes this and lives responsibly by it is a whole other subject, (laughs) but it doesn't change the reality that you have matured to that state. You've left one state of existence and now you're in this other state of existence, one of independence. So this means that adults can't be abandoned in the distorted sense that only emotionally unhealthy people believe. I say this from personal experience because during my divorce, after enduring my crisis with borderline personality disorder, the one that I described uh, several episodes back, that was an argument that I used on my wife. I use that argument quite strongly. You can't you can't do this to me. Here I am. I've just discovered that I have this disorder. And back then I was calling it a mental illness because that's what all the clowns in the psychology field were telling me that border, that what I had was a mental illness. That see that was another thing. The professional community never distinguishes between emotional disorder and mental illness. So when you're a person who goes for help, that distinction is muddled. You don't know which is which. And the professional community does nothing to help you distinguish those two things. So you walk around telling everybody that you, you're dealing with a mental illness when you're not. Mental illness has nothing whatsoever to do with borderline personality disorder or with sex addiction or with narcissism. Those are all emotional disorders. And anybody who does not appreciate why it is important to know the difference and make the distinction between mental illness and emotional disorder 
probably should not be in a field, in a professional field, where they're tasked with helping other people recover from them or cope with them. But that's what I dealt with. I was walking around thinking that I had a, a mental illness because that's what everybody was leading me to believe. So one of my arguments at the time for trying to keep my wife from divorcing me was, here I am, I've just found out that I've got this mental illness that's messing up my life, that has been causing me to do all these things, which I did not understand and I was not aware of, and here I am in my moment of where I need the most support. You're going to abandon me? Well, what was I really doing? What I was really doing was pulling a guilt, trying to pull a guilt trip on her. I was trying to pull a guilt trip on her and guilt her into staying with me. And she was actually the one, bless her heart, who first introduced me to the concept that adults cannot be abandoned. In fact, she said that. You can't be abandoned. Well, at the time, I didn't appreciate it. Uh, It took me a while to understand why that is true. But it is true. I couldn't be abandoned because I was an adult. I wasn't a little child dependent on others for my emotional, mental, and physical needs. So let's say that you're a a woman and uh, you've got children with a man. And let's say that the man runs off and leaves you with the children. Did he abandon you? Well, in informal, everyday talk, we could say that. But it's important to recognize that informal talk, informal, everyday talk, does not accurately represent the reality of things. You know, for example, I can say, Listen, you can't say uh, that borderline personality disorder is a mental illness because it's not. It's an emotional disorder. Well, that's informal talk because, literally speaking, you can say whatever you want to (laughs) say. You can say whatever you want to say. So when I say, ah, you can't say that, you can't say this, it doesn't, I'm not saying that you literally can't say that. You can say it if you want. It's just not true. Okay, so that's the difference between informal talk and uh, accurate understanding of what the reality is. And a lot of times when we're talking about things here, what we're doing is we're getting real up close with it, with a lens, right? With a magnifying lens. And we're taking a look at what the reality of it is. So part of recovery is this work of breaking away from informal talk and the misconceptions that perhaps it has led us to. (sighs) My neighbor across the street is doing some construction or something. He's got the, uh, (laughs) he's got a power drill out there. I'm hearing a hammer. Sounds like a cement mixer maybe is out there. Always, man, always when I sit down to record these things. <laughs> uh, do I get the uh, the circus coming by? <clears throat> well, it is Saturday, and it's after 10 o'clock in the morning, so uh, I reckon they've got every right to, to be doing whatever they're doing out there. So I'm just going to keep going. And any of the background noises, you can just uh, tune it out 
on your end. <laughs> so anyway, that's the that's what we're doing. That's a lot of the work that I'm trying to help you do is escape from the misconceptions that a lot of our daily informal talk creates in a person's mind who now is trying to buckle down and get literal, get the literal understanding of, of reality. All right. So the man leaves his his woman and his own kids. Did he abandon them? It can be said that he abandoned his children. But did he abandon his wife? Her responsibility and capacities for caring for these things remain at 100%. Your responsibilities and your capacities, your capabilities, just remain what they are no matter what external thing is happening. When a person has children, you've got a father and a mother, obviously. The father's responsibility to his children is 100%. And the woman's responsibility to her children is 100%. The father doesn't have 150% responsibility over the kids, nor does the wife have 50% responsibility. We're talking about two people who are independent adults. Independent adults. And they have children who are dependent on them. So if the father, for some reason, decides not to live up to his responsibilities, the backup is the wife or the, the mother. Her responsibilities toward her children are still 100%. So the children still, still have that way of getting their emotional, mental, and physical needs met 100%. If the mother leaves, the father's responsibility towards his children is still 100%. So the children still have that security of having somebody who will care for their emotional, mental, and physical needs 100%. Let's say that the father is abusive toward the children. He's not living up to his responsibility 100%, is he? So the mother's responsibility kicks in to protect her children and care for their emotional, physical, and mental needs. If she has to go to a court in order to ensure that protection, then she does it. That's what I mean by both the mother and the father having 100% responsibility toward their children. Now, that 100% responsibility and capacity or capability applies to the individual adult himself or herself. So if the father is not living up to his responsibilities, the mother is still capable of ensuring that her needs get met because she's an independent adult. She's able to go out, get a job, or she's able to go out and find assistance from the government, or she's able to go out and ensure help from her family or from friends. I'm not saying it's always easy, but I'm saying that the responsibility is still there. And her capacity, her ability, her maybe not her ability, but her capacity and her capability is always what it is. If there's any kind of misunderstanding on that, maybe you'd want to go back and listen to the episode where I talked about capacity versus ability. Your responsibility as an adult based on what you're capable of, is always 100%. To always provide for your children's emotional, mental, physical, and uh, emotional needs, emotional, mental, and physical, and to always protect them from emotional, mental, and physical harm, no matter what. So again, because you've matured to reach a state of independence, you can't be abandoned. You are capable 
of being your own champion for all of your needs and for taking care of your children's needs. In order to be abandoned, one has to inherently be dependent on somebody else for all their needs, such as children are, meaning that even if you wanted to, even if you wanted to be a champion, for your own needs, you could not because of lack of development. When we say that children are incapable of taking care of their own emotional, physical, and mental needs, they wouldn't even they couldn't even if they wanted to. They lack that development. They have not matured to a point where they're capable of doing that. Adults are. Adults are independent and have the capacity for ensuring their needs get taken care of for themselves. <clears throat> My voice is a little off this morning. I apologize for that. I'm trying to drink coffee to smooth it out. Let's take another sip. Mmm. Honey, that's good coffee. I'm going to start doing uh, coffee commercials on here. Fifteen minutes into the show, I'm going to start doing Folgers commercials. Next topic. Uh, my stance on medications. Somebody asked me point blank. What is your stance on medications? So let's clear that up and make that answer unambiguous. My firm stance on medications is to do what your doctor says. Is there any uncertainty about what I just said? My firm stance when it comes to medications is to do what your doctor says. The only thing I've ever said about medications, pointedly, is that they will never cure borderline personality disorder. And I've also said that individual issues need to be dealt with individually on their own terms. For example, you don't take antacids for a headache. So there are certain things that may be appropriate for other issues which are not meant for your borderline personality disorder recovery. And there are things you need to do for your borderline personality disorder that is not appropriate or the same things that you need to do to fix other issues that you might be dealing with. Each issue you're dealing with has to be dealt with on its own terms. And it's a real possibility that you're dealing with several things, not just borderline personality disorder. People have the tendency when they get the diagnosis for borderline personality disorder that suddenly this is the answer for every issue they're dealing with. And I've explained in the past that this is not true. Borderline personality disorder has a very specific cause which lead to very specific symptoms. And in order to understand where borderline personality disorder begins and ends, one has to understand borderline personality disorder very intimately so that when an issue comes up, they, they can say, well, this obviously is not related to my borderline personality disorder because in no way does this tie back to the distorted core beliefs that are the cause of it all. But it's pretty hard to find motivation to positively tackle the inner mental work of deconstructing your borderline personality disorder and undoing all that damage and seeing, making the connections about how these have affected your behavior throughout the years and why these beliefs are uh, patently incorrect 
and of correcting them when you're being dragged down by depression. So if medications can help you feel better, why not do that? Why not give that a try? Then you can have a clearer mind to be able to concentrate on the therapeutic work that you're doing to recover from borderline personality disorder. Now, even though meds can't cure a disorder, like an emotional disorder, like borderline personality disorder, because because it's a disorder built on erroneous thinking, what is the solution to a disorder that's built on erroneous thinking? Education. Accurate education is the answer. This is why I say that if you're going to take pills, expecting it to cure a disorder whose only solution is accurate education, you might as well be taking pills to learn Swahili or Spanish. You know, it makes just as much sense. This is not me saying that medication during your recovery has no legitimate purpose at all. Like I just said, if you're dealing with depression and a psychiatrist here in the United States, it's psychiatrists who uh, prescribe medications. Your psychologist is who sits down and talks to you and tries to work things out on an emotional level, you know, in theory. Then they send you over to a psychiatrist. They recommend you to a psychiatrist. And the two of them work together to try to uh, find the right medications for you and to uh, find the right balance of those medications for you. So if the psychiatrist can give you something that can help stabilize your mood, well, then obviously you're going to have a clearer mind approaching the work that is required for recovering from borderline personality disorder. Therefore, the meds serve a legitimate purpose, don't they? So me saying that the meds aren't going to cure your borderline personality disorder is not the same as me saying don't take medications. For example, if you have OCD, it can really get in the way of genuine progress. Because if every time you sit down to concentrate on making these mental connections and putting the puzzle together of your home life as a child, how it has affected you in adulthood, deconstructing all those messages or rejecting those messages and replacing them with better messages. If every time you go to do this, you instead get distracted organizing your music library or all the files on your computer because of your OCD, you see how that's just eating up all of your time and energy in a non-constructive way? So medications in this case may, may help you control a measure of the OCD so that then you can approach recovery from borderline personality disorder more effectively. And one last thing I'd like to say about that is that your doctor has a complete larger picture of all of the issues you might be dealing with. He or she has years of education and knowledge on things that I could not possibly understand that are totally separate from borderline personality disorder. So please trust and listen to your doctors. So let's see, Thursday, when I was discussing with you how borderline personality disorder is not a mental illness, you might notice it was quick, but I was very careful to say that people who are only dealing with borderline personality disorder 
their ability to reason is not affected. (laughs) At the same time, there have been many people that I've talked to who have reached out to me for answers who I perceived were not only dealing with borderline personality disorder. To put it frankly, there have been people who've reached out to me who I suspected may have been dealing with mental illness. More than just emotional disorder, I, I felt that maybe their, their brain's capacity for rational thought was compromised. But I'm not a doctor. My only expertise is in emotional disorder. Whereas your doctor or your psychiatrist, he's able to look at the whole list of issues of things you're dealing with and in balance and in harmony, make recommendations to you. When I say that your ability to reason is not, is not affected by borderline personality disorder, I'm saying borderline personality disorder does not affect your ability to reason. I'm not saying that in your particular circumstances, you're not dealing with something else that might be affecting your ability to reason. Very careful about my wording because I've given it many, many, many years of thought. But that doesn't mean people always hear and appreciate the subtleties of my word choices. An example of this is medication will never cure your borderline personality disorder. (laughs) It doesn't mean that it can't uh, help alleviate some of the symptoms so that you can better concentrate on borderline personality disorder. But the reason why it's important for me to point that out, the same way as uh, DBT therapy, dialectical behavior therapy, I've said it's not the cure to borderline personality disorder. A lot of people hear that and they say, well, he's against DBT. No, I I never said that. (laughs) What I said is that it will never cure borderline personality disorder. Does it have legitimate therapeutic purposes? I'm sure it does. And some people might need it more than others. But there has to be a counterbalance to what the professional community is misleading people into believing, either intentionally or unintentionally. You know, for me, it's the, the intentional and unintentional is irrelevant because they should know better. <laughs> they're in an elevated position of society, and they're tasked specifically with educating people accurately about what they're dealing with and their options for getting better from it. So here they've led an entire the entire world into believing that DPT is the solution to borderline personality disorder. Is it the solution? No, it's not. It's not the solution. So I'm the counterbalance to that misinformation when I say that overwhelmingly popular quote-unquote solution to borderline personality disorder is not the solution. It's never going to cure you. What I want for you is the cure. So my voice is meant to be the counterbalance to that information. And the fact is, is that that information is being screamed through a bullhorn. You know, it's being broadcast through every radio station on every television program. And here's little old Brian Barnett. My voice is very small. So dramatically, I say, it's not going to cure your borderline personality disorder. I have to say it frankly and in those terms in order for my voice to be any sort of counterbalance to the overwhelming weight of the other voices and the other information out there screaming about how great DBT is. That's why, I, that's why I speak as frankly and as strongly as I do on that subject. If I were to say it more softly, oh, well, DPT's good. It's fine. 
But, you know, if you want to get better in the long term, you're going to have to probably do some other things too. You see, if I say it softly like that, people go on believing that DBT is the solution when it's not. So I can't afford to say things softly when I'm trying to break people free from misconceptions and point them in the direction that they really, truly need to be for their long-term greatest well-being. Well, those are the two primary topics that I wanted to discuss with you today. I hope that uh, people appreciate it and that you find it uh, enlightening. Where I am here, it's sunny. It's a little cold, but it's sunny. So my cats are, uh, I'm looking at them right now. Walden and Compass. Compass is my other cat. I don't know if I've talked about her. But Walden and Compass are right now sitting in the sunbeam that's coming through my window up here in my loft. And Braddy, my, my dear old Bradbury, the dog, he's a blackmouth cur from Mississippi. And he turns nine this year. Oh my goodness, buddy. Nine years old. He's been with me through it all. My recovery dog. He was there at the beginning, and he was here at the end, and he's still with me. And Best, best dog I've ever had in my entire life. He's a Ladner Blackmouth Cur. Best dog in the world. Hey, I'll tell you what. If you're in my group... Maybe we can create a, uh, a topic this week just talking and bragging on our pets. I've never, ever been without a pet in my life. Dogs and cats mostly, but also cows and goats and sheep and birds and uh, turtles and snakes and all sorts of things. I grew, up, I grew up in the woods, deep, deep in the woods. No running water. No running water. We had a well. We had a well dug, but the well, the water was so rusty, had so much iron in it, that nothing would soften the water. So for all my life, we had a freshwater spring down over the hill. It was a naturally occurring freshwater spring, and it was just a hole in the ground. And if you stuck your arm in the spring, it'd come up to about your shoulder. It's still there. It still produces crystal clear water. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but uh, good water is not tasteless. You might think that because all the, the water you buy in bottles nowadays is tasteless. But good water is not tasteless. Good water has a taste. And that taste are the minerals that it draws up out of the ground as, it's, as it filters through the ground and through the rock and that sort of thing. And it comes up into a spring. It tastes almost sweet almost sweet, so subtly. But that was what we had. We had a freshwater spring, and it was my job every night to go down over the hill with two buckets, and I would draw up two buckets of water with a pitcher. I'd put the pitcher in the in the spring, and I'd pour that into the buckets. When I was really young, it was just one bucket, because a bucket of water is heavy, folks. I mean, really heavy. And then I'd have to lug that up a path through the woods up this hill, up this big hill, and I would take that up to our house, and we used that water for drinking, for cooking, and for washing all my life. And as I got older, then it became two buckets. My other job every night through the winter months was chopping firewood. We heated with a, a wood stove. 
So I would take the old splitting axe out back, and I would split wood. And it was my chore to have enough firewood on the back stoop to get us through the night and through the next day. So every, every night, those were my two chores. And my third chore was washing dishes. <laughs> Very masculine. That was my mom's idea, I guess, to keep me humble. So, uh, yeah, every night I would go down for the water, chop the firewood, and wash dishes. You know, we had a, uh, an outhouse that we used to lock my cousins in. My brother and I had hundreds of acres to get lost in. And uh, that was my playground. Deep, deep woods. That's a way of life that's disappearing now. You see these programs on TV with uh, folks in uh, Alaska who are living like we lived. And the reason why people watch them is because it's so uh, foreign to what they know. Most people see that as a, a way of life that doesn't exist anymore. But I'm in my early 40s, and that's the way I grew up until I was 19. When I moved away at 19, about two weeks later, the county ran water out, <laughs> out to where my folks live. So uh, I think they did that on purpose. They waited until I moved out and then ran water out to my parents' house so that, uh, so that my parents wouldn't have to go down over the hill for spring water. So where was I going out with this? I was about to tell you the story <laughs> of how uh, one day in the backyard, when I was, I think I was... Uh, 10 or 11 uh, I was doing these flips in the backyard I was taking a run throwing my hands down and flipping myself over and as I was doing this my hand come right down next to a snake so what did I do I, I, I caught the snake it was a big snake and I, I had to go and I had to break off a branch with a fork in it and I pinned the snake's head down and then I got my head my hands got my fingers back behind the the snake's head and uh, caught the snake that way and then I went and I got a bag I can't remember I got a paper bag or a box or something like that and I put the snake in it and then when my dad got home from work I was eager to show him off this snake and I said hey uh, dad check this out look at this snake I caught earlier today he come over to take a look at it and I opened up the bag or the box I can't remember what it was and he says, "Criminy, geez, boy, that's a that's a copperhead. <laughs> it's a copperhead, one of the most poisonous snakes in our forest. So, <laughs> you know, that's that was the day I learned what a copperhead looks like. They're mean looking snakes. They're mean looking snakes. Well, so that's my story. Anyway, you folks have a good Saturday. Uh, I've taken up plenty of your time, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. All right, be good." Ciao.